Blog Talk Radio. This is CNN Extra for Tuesday, April 21. I'm your host, Brooke Hines, and today we're talking about Bernie or Bust with Bernie or Bust author Victor Tiffany, Uh, seeing as how Joe Biden is the presumptive nominee, we are going to... uh, look at what the Bernie or Bust movement is about from here. And it looks like I've got Victor on the line right here. If it will pull up. There he is. How you doing, Victor? Good, Brooke. How you doing? I'm doing super. Um, uh, how are you making out with this whole COVID thing before we get started? Is uh, everything okay on, on your uh, end of things? Yeah, health-wise, I'm uh, all right. I'm considered an essential worker in New York, upstate New York, so I'm out in it every day. But um, we're taking precautions, and I, I count my uh, blessings there the first few weeks. I, for a while, I got lucky, and now I'm being very careful. But, yeah, I took my temperature today, and I'm I'm fine. Super, super. Um, How about you? We are good. Me and my husband. Yes, me and my husband both were staying inside. Uh, It turns out that um, quarantine um, suits us just fine, actually. (laughs) Um, Not essential. Yeah, right. (laughs) Not essential workers, but we both work from, he's able to work from home, and I've always worked from home. So, and and thank goodness nothing has. impeded our ability to do that so far and we're in Florida so it looks like uh, you know we have DeSantis uh, who is probably more of a clown than Donald Trump DeSantis is our uh, governor and the chances are he's going to open up the state pretty soon Uh, we'll we'll see but um, so far so good strange times Though I mean, this is not. Indeed. This was. It could not have been predicted by anybody. No, no black swan event is, and um, this thing really caught us off guards. It it completely changed our uh, our. Um, you know, I mean, last time I was on here, I made it pretty clear that at the time, the only if the Democrats wanted to beat uh, Donald Trump, they were going to have to nominate Bernie Sanders because it was going to be a very close race and with this pandemic it's really changed the whole dynamic quite radically yes absolutely and you know speaking of black swan events the way that the uh, let's let's go back and talk a little bit about how the primary shaped up uh, before Super Tuesday and thereafter it, to me it was a black swan event for all of the uh, Democratic field essentially to drop out at the same time. Of course, we learned that that was Barack Obama pulling strings behind the scenes. Uh, And that's what has left us with Joe Biden as the presumptive nominee. Uh, What are your thoughts on how all of that went down? Yeah, I tweet Obama almost every day. And one of them went pretty viral that, um, he orchestrated this mess, and his uh, legacy is going to be eight years of Donald Trump. He mm-hmm. could have let, he could have stayed out of it. Bernie Sanders would have had a better chance. And the candidate, who, who's a much stronger position for a whole variety of reasons, we can go down a long, long list. Uh, but he's sitting on the sidelines, and now they're trying to generate um, you know unity around a candidate that, who's not together himself (laughs) he's he's literally falling apart but yeah no obama um orchestrated a uh, an electoral disaster in the makings i mean 
I'm not going to say Biden can't possibly win because Trump may screw up badly enough yet to to make that possible. But I just I just don't see it happening. I I just don't see people. I mean, this guy's uh, not as strong of a candidate as Hillary Clinton was for a variety mm-hmm. of reasons, but primarily his his uh, mental health is in pretty steep decline. You can see it not just compared to four years ago. You can see it today listening to him trying to get through these interviews compared to last summer when he when they first started debating, which was no uh, great accomplishment on his part. He he, he stumbled to he you know, he offered up word salads and, you know, play kids need to hear you play the record. They need to hear words. I mean, just it, he was not in good shape even then, and he's just gotten worse. So I don't. I think if there was no Bernie or Bus at all, Biden would still be doomed. Yes. Yeah. So so um, let's uh, let's wade into the Bernie or Bus uh, waters then. Uh, I know the last time we talked. One of the things that you mentioned was that uh, barring a an economic decline, that uh, that uh, things were uh, the barring. Let me get this right. Barring an economic decline, that the Democratic nominee would have a decent chance. And now, instead no. of an economic no, decline, no, 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 have, no. Okay. No, that's not that's not what it was. Barring uh, an economic decline, only Bernie could defeat Trump because our our view was Trump Trump was, had a strong economy mm-hmm. that made him a very difficult incumbent to beat, and it, therefore it was going to be a very close race. And that's when the Bernie or bust uh, faction, combined with the Sanders Trump swing voters, mm-hmm. would bury any other candidate. And, and I think the Sanders Trump swing voters are going to bury Joe Biden. Actually, I'm I'm not even convinced Joe Biden's going to make it to November. I I have a feeling that the establishment knows this guy's in in trouble. I agree. Uh, there's a story that just came out today. I'm looking to see if uh, where I can send people to to find it that Joe Biden is backing off of his pledge to nominate, uh, to, to name a woman of color as his running mate. Um, so that's, well, that's interesting. That, yeah. That's going to uh, alienate his, here it is. It's news one. Somebody I've never heard of news one. Biden says he won't commit to picking a woman of color for VP running mate. Um, Choosing a woman who is not black for his vice presidential candidate could affect how black women voters, the backbone of the Democratic Party, react on election day. Um, any thoughts on that? Kind of sounds like like he might be leaning towards Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, because I, I was thinking Kamala Harris, and that that would have you know checked off a couple of identity politics boxes. I'm wondering if he's actually leaning in, in the direction. I, we, we haven't talked about this, but uh, we sent out a blast to media last night after posting on one of our websites an offer to Joe Biden that if he wanted support of the Bernie or Bust faction and organizers, he could uh, nominate Bernie Sanders. I'm sorry, pick Bernie Sanders, not nominate him. He could pick Bernie Sanders as his running mate, and that's the best way to unify the party. If he wanted mm-hmm. to, if he wanted to beat Trump, so and when it wasn't just, you know, that straightforward, we, we, you know, we plan on campaigning against Biden quite vigorously, uh, especially after the third parties figure out who their nominees are going to be. They're they're still in the nominating process, particularly the Greens. So mm-hmm. once that settles out, we plan on attacking Biden as. Uh, as a dangerous candidate, and Trump, you know, they're both dangerous people. There's no question about that. Um, I, I, We argue that Hillary Clinton was more dangerous than Donald Trump, and now that we've got Donald Trump in power, it, it, it's a tougher argument to make because we haven't seen how 
Hillary Clinton would have governed, but you know, for all we know, there might have been nuclear bombs dropped by Hillary mm-hmm. or Clinton. So we just don't mm-hmm. know how that would have actually played out. But in this case, we have a guy suffering from uh, some kind of dementia, some kind of uh, progressive cognitive decline, mm-hmm. and how, I, I don't even know how it's sane to make somebody in that kind of condition the president of the United States and control the nuclear arsenal. How is that how is that safer than Donald Trump? I, I know Trump has all these you know horrible things. He, his court nominees Did we lose Victor? Are you there? Not getting any yeah, we lost you just for a second, but uh, you're back. And it's weird. There's, there's not okay. any other interference on the line. It just kind of goes out. But, well, I'm, uh, on, but you're back. I'm on a cell phone. You know, cell that phones should do be that. Fine. That should be fine. We will deal with it. Uh, what was the last thing you said uh, before before you cut off? Well, we, we plan on attacking Biden pretty vigorously, and what we've offered to do, if, if he accepts the offer, our offer, it's, it's not a nice offer. We're basically making a demand and applying our leverage. We have the ability to generate um, antagonism and, and animosity toward Biden, and all that gets dropped by the wayside if, if he puts Bernie as the running mate. Well, you got a lot of noise on your end. Are you putting out? Yeah, I'm sorry. I've, I've got a, I've got some papers on my desk and moving some things around. Do you think that is there any sense for you that Elizabeth Warren would be um, any kind of outreach to the Bernie uh, crowd? I mean, I have my own thoughts on that, but I wanted to get yours. I'm sure some people will be impressed. We certainly won't. She was part of the reason Bernie did so bad on Super Tuesday. She's part of the establishment. She's part of the Obama orchestration of of Biden's rise into frontrunner status. And I just don't think having her as VP is going to be all that persuasive to enough enough of the – Swing voters that that I alluded to earlier. I I don't think it's going to matter. Mm-hmm. And you know, through all of this, what we have in Donald Trump right now is is a presidency that is behaving as if it's on a war footing. So the coronavirus is Donald Trump's 9/11 essentially. And even though he's not addressing it very well, same as the way uh, W, uh, Bush Jr., didn't do very well addressing what happened on 9-11, he still seems, Donald Trump still seems to be getting quite a bump in approval ratings from being on this war footing. Yeah, I mean, you know, this could go both ways. I'm afraid the messaging in this contest is going to be all negative. You know, Trump screwed up this response to the coronavirus and of course they've got about 80 negative things to throw at biden so it's it's all going to be almost all going to be negative campaigning and that didn't work out real well last time for the democrats i i just don't i i just don't think i think you're right i think that being a war president is going to help but Lost you again, Victor. I'm not here yet. <clears throat> there you are, and we lost you at um, there I but. Am. Yep. But he could still screw up uh, royally. There's no doubt about it. He could try to get economy opened up earlier than he needs to, or that's uh, safe, you know, and and this. Thing if this virus, it, it, once we start heading downhill in, in the terms of number of new cases, like so, like what we have going on in New York now, once that starts happening nationwide, if they push us too early to to get out and start working again without all the necessary precautions, you know this thing could easily raise its ugly um, 
germy head up and and start taking you know get, making people sick again. There's there's all kinds of dangerous possibilities going forward, and it's you know messaging by both parties is going to is going to weigh on people's vote. And and mm-hmm. the, you know most people are locked inside this two 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 party mental prison. That um, you know it's sad, but uh, the article you shared with me was right. J- Jeremy pointed out that there's one of two people, unless Biden you know strokes out or has an, uh, an aneurysm or something that really takes him out of action, and they replace him by somebody else. Then it's it's. It could go either way. I don't. I'm not convinced uh, anymore of how how this is going to come out. I think it's a a crapshoot, and I think if Biden remains in, then then you know it's similar to 2016. We're having a choice between someone shooting you in the chest or somebody, you know, shooting an arrow into your back. I mean, what kind right. of choice is that? It's it's just absurd. Yes, and I wanted to mention this article. It's the moral, okay, this is Jeremy Scahill in The Intercept today, the moral and strategic calculus of voting for Joe Biden to defeat Donald Trump or not. And I would expect that this, since this came out today, which is uh, Tuesday, uh, Jeremy Scahill will probably address this on his Intercepted podcast this week. it's a good article. I think that the the most interesting stuff is in the last page or so because he he spends a lot of time laying out examining the landscape. And I think that people who pay attention are well aware of what the landscape is and where we are and, and how we got here. So, uh, you know, turning to where he uh, starts to lay down some of his uh, internal thoughts, you know, where he's really putting down some of his new new ideas here. You know, he, he says that this is a war for the future of the Democratic Party, and it's intensifying. Uh, there's a possibility of a fracture or at least uh, clearly defined factions being created within the party. And I would I would suggest that that's been the way for quite some time. And the party is been more successful uh, in the recent past uh, pushing down those factions and, and uh, pushing them to the side or alienate, alienating them. And since 2016, all of that has kind of come to the fore. Uh, and he says, uh, this primary has shaken the democratic establishment to its core, and that is a good thing, and it should be built on. And he goes on, and he, and he lays out the uh, or bust argument in the last few paragraphs. And one of the things that he kind of gets, to, he kind of talks around, but he doesn't uh, take it head on, uh, is that one of the reasons, and I think we, we've been talking around this too tonight, uh, one of the reasons for withholding your vote and not voting for Joe Biden is because the democratic machine, the party politics, the DNC, all of that, all the, all the words we use to describe that establishment, uh, people see that as the problem and Donald Trump is the symptom. And if we don't fix what's wrong within the democratic party and get you know, take it down, bring new people in, whatever it takes, then we're just going to get another Donald Trump in a few years. We're going to have more Obamaism and so on and so forth. So I really like what he, what he says um, uh, right here towards the end. Um, pick up right here. A Biden administration, they believe, I think we believe, will undoubtedly be a massive corporate-friendly juggernaut that wages military and economic wars. And uh, for them, voting in the affirmative for that is a bridge too far. Uh, Many of these people hold the Democratic Party responsible for Donald Trump because of the terrible campaign it ran in 2016. So to convince them to buy into the same strategy twice is a losing battle. And then he says, and I love this, they're tired, we're tired of being Democrats' cheap dates 
treated with contempt, offered few and paltry concessions, and expected to go along. Uh, as a strategic matter, at this juncture, they regard supporting Biden as tantamount to telling Democrats to continue to take them for granted. And I think that's what we've been talking about for quite some time. We're tired of being cheap dates. Yeah, I agree with all that, except for the very first sentence where you quoted about the nature of this primary. It was a kid gloves primary. Bernie, <clears throat> Biden's not vetted. Nobody went after Biden for his um, cognitive decline or a, a number of his, uh, you know, touchy feeling approach toward females and the the uh, complaints. I mean, there are so many ways Bernie could have gone after him, and he didn't. He played. He he. This is a, a primary that Biden wasn't really vetted, and and you know Trump's not going to treat this guy with kid gloves. But other than that, I mean, you, you're right in terms of um, this neoliberalism, this establishment, it, it is the disease. This is the problem, and, and Trump is a symptom of that disease. It's... I'm going to lost you again. Uh, I'm going to give it just a second for you to get back on. Uh, Trump is a symptom. And uh, one of the things that we're up against is uh, I, I think that I think that the older we get and the longer we've been around, the more we see that uh, that the party that how we interact with the party is is what needs to change. And so there's kind of a long view. There's a, there's a long game that that. Uh, a lot of us are playing because we've seen essentially the same president be elected and the same kinds of people be elected since the nineties. You know, you've got Bill Clinton and then you've got Obama being very much like Bill, Bill Clinton. And, uh, and, you know, these, these democratic, these neoliberal democratic administrations are separated by progressively worse uh, Republican administrations. So, uh, you're back. We'll go ahead and pick up where you were, where you left off. I am back. Do you hear me? Yes. There you are. Yeah, I wanted to finish the point that, uh, and you're right about what you said, but this, the idea of, of, of voting for another neoliberal is it, like uh, treating somebody who's going through alcohol poisoning with a bottle of gin. Here. This will this will make you feel better. The answer to neoliberalism is not more neoliberalism, and and, and we're stuck with a situation where the only alternative is neo-fascism in, in the White House. So again, it's uh, a gunshot to the chest or an arrow in the back. I I, I have a fairly callous view, and I'm afraid even to express it because there's so many things that Trump's going to do bad that um, makes it sound like, oh, white privilege of some sort or some kind of privilege. But our view is you can't keep being the bad date. At some point, it's almost like uh, uh, Stockholm syndrome, right? We're just uh, rewarding our torturers and, and, and rationalizing going on these horrible dates. Instead of saying, no, I'm, we're breaking up. And, and that's what I think, at least speaking from the Bernie or Bus perspective, I think we need to stop feeding gin to the people, to the, to the person uh, suffering alcohol poisoning. I think we need to stop feeding the machine that treats us like dirt and, and just vote third party. Walk out of this two-party mental prison and, and, and let, this, let the chips fall where they might. If the Democrats lose again, and they lose in 2024 with another neoliberal, and they lose in 2028 with another neoliberal, maybe eventually they'll figure out, gee, maybe we should try a progressive. I just don't see the advantage of of voting, of supporting or, or electing a neoliberal. And again, I stress, let's assume, let's assume Biden drops out, right, for mental reasons, uh, mm -hmm. health reasons, let's say. And, and they run with, uh, I don't know, Warren or... Harris, I think, were the two probably top. I, I, I think Booker would probably be the best candidate, but 
let's say they they want to go with a, a female. Uh, I, I think th- they could win uh, with someone who is semi competent and, and able to make the case in the debates, uh, and especially if it's you know say Kamala Harris, a, a black woman, checking off a couple of those identity pol- uh, p- politic boxes. But I just don't. I just don't, uh, from our angle, from the Bernie or Bus perspective, I just don't see the purpose of, uh, for any revolutionary or, or really progressive to reward a party that orchers that was that I don't want to say rigged because it's too vague, but Scale actually covers. He just actually just mentions how Obama was involved with that shift from Bernie being the front runner to a Biden. Oh, oh, Biden, to uh, Biden being the uh, presumptive nominee. I mean, he really orchestrated the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I just can't reward that. I just can't um, recommend anybody support that the party that did that again, a little bit differently this time. But once again, they pulled the rug out from under Bernie Sanders, and I just, you know, he was front runner for a while. He People considered him in one set of polls uh, the, the most electable candidate, and he really was. <clears throat> but but Obama got involved, and people you know made endorsements and dropped out, and Warren stayed in. The whole thing just ended up in a sudden shift around. That that didn't just happen because voters <clears throat> you know suddenly that happened because this was orchestrated. And I, I there's I can't recommend rewarding that stuff. So I'm hoping there's a good third-party candidate to support, and I, and, and I encourage people to walk out of this two-party mental prison. And the only way – I mean, I don't see a good outcome this year. I just don't. No matter who wins, I don't see a good outcome. Well, you know, I'm going to pick up on uh, on a couple of things that you mentioned. Uh, I want to uh, come back around to Obama, so uh, I'm going to make a note of that. But the um, – what we would call in in a grad school, what what we would call the Marxist critique of neoliberalism is that it's not so much that the party just chooses these uh, centrist neoliberal candidates. It's not that it's just a preference. It's not that it's it's a, a something that even that they have that much choice over. It's that they are a moneyed interest that is is propelled by special interests and lobbyists who demand these kinds of candidates be put forward. So it's not like there's a lot of uh, uh, wiggle room in there. It's not like the Democratic Party could choose overnight to just, you know, be the kind of party that supports uh, working families. What we're faced with is a power struggle, and the people who are in power in the DNC right now and in the Democratic Party represent uh, the same moneyed interests and the same corporate interests that we are trying to fight against in order to uh, have a little bit more breathing room in our own personal economic lives. So, so we're faced with with Bernie and this whole, you know eight year long thing that's gone on since 2015, 2016, where, where the whole system has been rigged against them. And that's the media, the, the media elites and the political establishment. He has not been able to find a crack in that to get his uh, message across. Even after he won three, the first three contests, one right after a row, including in Nevada, where you had, uh, a massive turnout of people of color to to vote for him, and you know the, the same actually happened in Iowa, where he uh, held caucuses with uh, workers who were getting off in the middle of the night, and you know he was the only person who was going after those votes. It's the party is structurally aligned with these moneyed interests. It's not. You know, it's it, we. It, so I guess that leads into this. The other thing that I was going to say is that, um, do you see any 
uh, traction to be held with, say, like the Movement for People's Party or any of these uh, third-party movements? Because since all of this happened, I've received a lot of interest. You know, people call me up or hitting me up on social media, uh, inviting me to do Movement for People Party stuff and get involved in uh, some of these uh, alternative ancillary groups and there is a lot of energy there it is it is uh, uh, pretty amazing what is what is going on on the fringes and i hate using that word but going on on the margins right now any thoughts on that yeah the, it needs to happen they the, the the broad left needs to um coordinate and unite around a either a strategy in the short term because there is no real good functioning third party. The green party is the largest and they just unfortunately can't win national elections, even at the house of representatives level. So it's, it's going to take really, I, I don't know how much more people can put up with when they, when they do what they just did to get Biden as the presumptive nominee, I mean, how, I, I don't know. I'm so fed up. I just can't imagine ever supporting a, a party like this again. So why isn't there more of that? I think part of it is, you know, a lot of liberals are clueless. They just don't understand the, the word neoliberalism. It, it, it's like uh, Russians living in the Soviet Union who never, who don't know what communism means. I mean, it, it's amazing how ignorant American people are, and that's exactly the way the, the centrist neoliberals want it. If, if they, American people really tuned into what the neoliberals are doing to this country, they would throw them out in, in, in an instant. Bernie Sanders would have easily won uh, the, the whole, every primary, because it, it's what they're doing is vicious and evil. Uh, I don't think Scahill really dug in deeply enough to that, although he didn't uh, pull any punches. He, he really, he really let Biden have it. But um, in his view, uh, Trump is worse. And you know there are ways. That there are certainly one can certainly make that argument. And, and I think if it wasn't for Biden's dementia, I, I think that argument would be cut and dry. But I just, to me, it's insane. That anybody, I mean, you you have all kinds of people still coming up. Barbara Lee recently came out and endorsed Biden. I don't get it. When? Did, let me just go back real quick to 1972 because there's a <laughs> there's a story there. McGovern had won the nomination, and he selected uh, Senator Tom Eagleton to be his running mate. And it came out that Eagleton had been. Uh, secretly hospitalized for depression a few times in his life. And once McGovern figured that out or found that out, he asked him to I'm going to ask you again. And Eagleton was hospitalized for depression, which is, uh, you know, one of these uh, uh, moments in Democratic Party history, which is uh, you know, it just stands alone, you know, that instead of dealing with and talking in an open way about uh, depression and mental health issues and how, you know, everybody has dealt with that in some way, instead they chose to just push Evil 10 out of the race. And uh, I can hear that you're back. Yeah. Yeah, they did that, but they didn't learn a lesson. I mean, now they're uniting Behind the establishment is uniting behind someone I think in in some ways worse shape than Eagleton. Not I mean mm. it's a whole different um, mm. mental problem. It's a different mental problem. But I you know I remember Ronald Reagan toward the end of his eight years and he was clearly not as sharp as he had been. But it wasn't nearly as bad as what we see from Joe Biden. I, I it, it blows my mind that. Any Democrat, whether it's Obama or, you know, the lowest rank and file voter, can be- believes a that somebody in this shape can defeat a sitting president, even Donald Trump, and b that it's a good idea to have somebody in progressive cognitive decline controlling the nuclear briefcase. 
it's like the entire party has Trump derangement syndrome, and nobody's using good judgment. I I I absolutely agree. It's crazy. That's why I absolutely agree. With with no evidence whatsoever, I am convinced that Biden's going to be forced out and replaced because they they know it. I started to talk about uh, Michael Moore covered this, and and the plan, according to party insiders he's talked to, is to pick a smart, young, you know, female uh, running mate, and, and and that'll take care of everything. They'll just look past Biden's sentence and just struggles these days uh, in in interviews. I just yeah, that's not going to play well. I mean, people don't vote for the vice presidential pick; they vote for, by and large, the top of the ticket. And Biden is going to be a disaster, I, I, and I'm convinced he's going to get replaced. But again, no one's said this. No, I have no evidence that this is going to be the case. It just doesn't make any sense whatsoever to put somebody in, in Joe Biden's shape in a contest against a sitting president. It's, it's insane. It's absurd. I, I, it doesn't – it can't – if it proceeds to November as a Biden-Trump race, apparently COVID-19 makes people insane. I, 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 I just don't know – I just don't know – there's no explanation for this. If Eagleton mm-hmm. was forced out because of his his mental problems, now the whole establishment is is uniting behind a guy with with uh, even more evident mental problems. It's it, I just, it's 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 absolutely insane. And the the Ronald Reagan uh, comparison, I think, is totally on point. Uh, people were talking about. Ronald Reagan's uh, uh, cognitive decline early on in his administration, and it was laughed off and it was pushed away. And, you know, uh, along came the Iran-Contra testimony where he 88 times said that he could not remember. He did not recall what had happened, what had gone on. Now, his vice president was uh, George H.W. Bush, Poppy Bush, who had been the director of the CIA. And uh, I think that it is quite obvious that who was running the, the, the ship there was the people in the vice presidential office and the advisors around Ronald Reagan. Same with uh, Bush Jr., George W. Bush later. Dick Cheney was was running things from the vice president's office and his his advisors, uh, Bush, Bush Jr.'s advisors were running things around him. I think what is the uh, um, and we're starting to see this in uh, some of the political gossip media that uh that it's not so much about Biden, it's about his team of rivals. It's about the people he's going to put around him and how they're going to be, there might be Republicans and there's definitely going to be people from Goldman Sachs. And so you don't have to worry about anything, you bankers. And, you know, it, it's, it's like a bonanza. It's like the, the Democratic Party doesn't seem to care at all about the front runner. What they care about is having the um, foot in the door to be able to put a whole team of people in there who will, uh, you know, carry messi- messages and work on policies for the special interests that donate to the party. So it's a, a, a virtuous cycle for rich people, um, but not so much for the rest of working America. I don't, and those are the people who aren't going to see past. They aren't going to look past Biden to his supporters and or uh, you know advisors and and people who will surround him. They're going to look at Joe Biden and they're going to listen to Joe Biden and they're going to think, wow, this guy. I don't know if he's up to it. You know, there's not a lot that goes into some people's thinking about who to vote for. It could be, um, you know, it, it could be something. Trump says that turns him off. It could be something Biden says. I think this is going to be a crapshoot this time. Um, this is, again, if Biden stays in it, I just can't imagine Biden staying in it. And if they do stay in it, is not forced out for health reasons. As far as I'm concerned, 
the Democrats aren't even trying to win. When they put forward a candidate like Joe Biden, mm-hmm. they united around Joe Biden for one reason, and it's mission accomplished. They wanted to beat Bernie Sanders. That's it. They're done. That's all they were trying to do around that. The idea that they're trying to defeat Donald Trump with a candidate like Bernie Sanders or uh, Joe Biden, it's laughable. It's absolutely laughable. He's, he's not up to the game at this point. He, he just isn't. You can listen to him. Um, even what he, his proposals he put forward in the New York Times to deal with coronavirus is basically Donald Trump with a little more uh, – a little more emphasis, a little more uh, urgency, but nothing groundbreaking or innovative, just more of the same. Uh, it, he's not. Nope. We lost you again. There you are. We'll see him winning no matter who he picks. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll go one step further. I don't. I don't think he should win. Not not somebody in that mental condition. As bad as uh-huh. Donald Trump is, I don't think Trump should be in the office either. But you know, if those are the mm-hmm. two choices, I I think it's time for people to to say no, no, no to this rigged Democratic Party, no to this neoliberalism, and no to Donald Trump as well. I I I don't support these swing voters that are that voted for Bernie in the primaries, and then going to turn around and vote for Donald Trump. I I you know. I wish Joe Rogan would have me on his show because he seems to be a voice of that represents a lot of these swing voters, and I would love to have an mm-hmm. opportunity to talk to him about, you know, voting for a fascist for, or a neoliberal. And and it's time to start breaking out of this this mental prison that Americans are in. I mean, we've done it before, mm-hmm. um, you know, 150 years ago, 70 years ago, 60 years ago, somewhere in there, but. It's time to do it again. Both parties are just destroying this country and destroying this 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 world, this planet. Right? Joe Biden's climate policy. Because if anybody wants to make a strong argument against Trump, it, it would be climate change. Biden's climate policies have been rated F minus by Sunrise Movement. It, and, and, wow. Uh, Scahill references this as. Uh, I think he refers to them as anemic and inadequate in, in that article you talked about earlier. Um, it, and that's going to be a problem. I, and he also says that's one area where he could probably be pushed. But the problem is he's not going to get elected. There's not going to be any pushing Joe Biden unless he comes out and offers some big significant changes along the lines of climate change. And even then, for me, talk is cheap. We know what Joe Biden's about. He has a long record. He's a corporate tool. He's a sock puppet, and he's not going to – he's not worth supporting. He's just not. He's the worst of all the candidates that are on that stage at the very beginning, 23 candidates, and they ended up choosing the worst one. And it's not just by happenstance. It wasn't some voter decision. It was a unity around Obama's choice. So, again, I, I'm going to be tweeting this quite often. Obama's legacy will be eight years of Trump. I'd be shocked. If uh, if Biden's the nominee, I'll be shocked if he defeats Trump. I will be too because it's my sense, and I think we talked we've we've talked around this a little bit. It's my sense that the uh, uh, factions have hardened since 2016. I think that, and all around the spectrum, I think that uh, people who would vote for Trump, I think that that support has hardened. And we're seeing that in polling where it shows that the most enthusiastic voters are on Trump's side and that Biden's voters are, are not very enthusiastic at all, which this completely mirrors how in 2010, the uh, uh, Florida Democratic Party put um, uh, Christ, Charlie Christ, up for up as a Democrat who had been a Republican and a Republican government governor, put him up against uh, Rick Scott, and all of the Democrats in the state were like, especially activist Democrats were like, you know, we just campaigned against this guy uh, four years ago or eight years ago. What and there was there was this lip service to, yeah, we're going to vote for him, but 
people didn't want to do the work. They didn't want to uh, get on uh, get on the phone and make calls. They weren't knocking doors. And so, you know, we had another one of these elections where the uh, right wing ran away with it, and the Democratic Party was just sort of sitting there, like twiddling their thumbs. And uh, you know, I, I think we're all starting to catch on to the game that uh, Democratic Party consultants and, and Democratic Party professionals are going to make money no matter what. They are going to have a job and they are going to make money and maybe even do better in, as the opposition than as the party in power. Because when you're the party in power, you actually have to start delivering things. And oh my God, that is such a pain in the butt when you have to be answerable to people. Uh, you know, you've got to have your, your shock troops out there to make sure that there is no criticism. I remember during the Obama administration, you know, Obama did so many things. I mean, starting with uh, the, the ACA that had no public option, that was right off the bat. He, he did so many things, one, one right after another, with the drone strikes and the uh, escalating conflict in Syria and the TPP. There were so many significant policy initiatives and, and just his general, the, the general thrust of, of his administration was so right-leaning. And people stood up for him like he was some sort of... Uh, cult figurehead or something like oh my god you can't uh, uh criticize barack obama haven't you heard he's barack obama or something and uh, uh we're starting to get that and, and i'm sure we're going to see a lot more of it, it it's not going to stick with joe biden because joe biden doesn't have the uh uh identity um the political identity that, that barack obama did you know Joe Biden is a is a white guy with a, a lot of money and and uh, has supported banks his his whole career. It's not like he's a a, a a you know come from behind kind of you know unprivileged you know someone who, who's been struggling. Uh, but he is starting already starting to run to the right of uh, Donald Trump. And we saw that with this ad that he did on coronavirus, which was just as xenophobic as the ad that Donald Trump did, you know, where they're calling out China and, you know, pointing the fingers at China that we have to do something about China. We have to have a stronger, more hawkish stance against China, because I guess the idea is that bat viruses will continue to, to spread if we don't put economic sanctions on their country. I don't, I don't understand the, the connection there, but, but the idea is that the, the voting populace will respond to this kind of xenophobic fear-mongering. And what that shows me is that the people who the Democratic Party is trying to court are those Republicans those suburban Republicans in Pittsburgh and Philadelphia that, that, that Chuck Schumer said for every suburban Republican who votes for us or for every blue collar uh, worker who doesn't vote for us, we will pick up two, three, or four Republican suburbanites and that they will repeat that in Ohio and, and Michigan and Wisconsin and so on and so forth. And it didn't come to pass in 2016. And I certainly don't expect it to come to pass in, in, in 2020. No, I agree. It won't. It won't. Bernie had a chance to get those voters, not the, not the Republicans, but the, the blue-collar voters that the Democratic Party has lost in the last few elections. They voted for Trump, and they're not coming back. And Biden even was asked recently if uh, he's going to pursue those voters and, and try to get win them back. And he said no. <laughs> he's not even trying. So I, I just don't see what his road to victory is other than and, – and this is covered on The Rising uh, when uh, Sager and Crystal talk about the selection to screw up royally. For Biden to just win by default. That is such a good point. 
That is such a good point. And you got to imagine that there are plenty of Democratic strategists who have already developed their talking points for the imagined scenario where Donald Trump screws up, screws up more uh, to take advantage of it. And, uh, you know, I guess we're just going to it's going to be an interesting couple of months. Uh, So, you know, we've got a lot of the the methods of voting are changing in a lot of the states. We're going to see more vote by mail, uh, I think, even in November as we uh, uh, spin out of the summer. I think once people get used to voting by mail, uh, you're going to see a lot more of it. I think you're also going to see in all of these states, you know, New York and uh, um, Ohio, all of these big states that didn't get to vote in the primary or, or are being taken for granted, I think you're going to see less enthusiasm from, from those big states, like they've been cut loose. And, and that's what the Democratic Party gets for, you know, putting so much emphasis on South Carolina and older, you know, women of color who vote in South Carolina, who will never carry a general election. You know, all we do is use those early primary states to push our nominees to the right in order that we may not have a candidate at the end, a nominee at the end, who can win a general. You know, it just it happens yep. over and over again. Yep. I don't see any uh I don't see any way around this mess. I, I think we're the only thing so there's a topic we haven't brought up yet, which is how to get something done outside of the uh, arena of electoral politics. Chris has mm-hmm. been talking, writing about this for quite a while, but there's no answer in electoral politics. And I, if we're faced with a Biden-Trump decision this year, there's no, there's no answer there at all. So to the streets right now, we can't have some massive protest because it's just too dangerous. What we can do, and people are talking about it. People are organizing starting May Day. We can have a general strike. People are already home. There's a lot of people already striking, if you will. Um, but I think in, if, if you're going to force Congress to act, then one of these essential sectors is going to have to go on strike and, and stay home and, and stop working. And then there needs to be all kinds of uh, organizing like unions, when there's a strike against a corporation, unions organize uh, financial support for the most needy strikers, for example. We have to figure out how to do that. And um, Alan and I have come up with, with a, a sort of a one-two punch strategy to support strikers. But I just want to first... I mean, lost you just again, but a one-two punch to support strikers. And I think that this is super important that, uh, you know, we are in a better position right now for a general strike than we ever have been. In my lifetime, I have never seen the kind of strike activity. Well, I mean, like early, early on when I was a child uh, during the, the Nixon administration, there was a uh, some similar activity, but we're seeing McDonald's workers. We're seeing Amazon workers. We are seeing people who are completely outside of that, you know, uh, middle-class blue collar kind of job. We're seeing those folks organizing or starting the struggle to organize. And that could be a, a game changer. Right. What they need is financial support. So what, uh, Alan, Hall and I have come up with is a one-two strategy. One, locally, get a hold of your local union and see if they'll they'll uh, make support the relationship between donors and strikers. Right, those strikers are going to need help, and some people have money coming from the government that they just don't need. I'm, I'm I don't need that thousand dollars. I'll use it if if I, if there isn't a general strike. But if there are strikers and they need money for a doctor's visit or whatever, then then I'd be willing to donate, you know, some of that uh, money that's coming from the government. We already received ours because we do direct deposit. So, and then the other way, because there isn't going to be unions in every community who who are either willing or able to uh, support strikers this way. These will be the wildcat strikers support of the striking without support of a union. 
And you could do this using Facebook because there's a lot of things you can do on Facebook. Take a Facebook group. In fact, I, we, we recommend they call each Facebook group because there has to be one in each community, one in each village, every town, every city, every every hamlet. So you have it, – it's called general strike support, right, so people can find it. they, they got to search it. And then town and state, right? So general strike support. Danby, New York, or Ithaca, New York, or Allentown, Pennsylvania, or anything like that. Brooklyn, New York. Not just New York City because it's too big, but you can break it down to the boroughs. And then donors, well, first of all, strikers can post. The only people posting will be strikers. I need $50 to go to the doctor's office. Donors don't know if that person is a con artist or a, a, a striker in genuine need. But they can do the, the vetting themselves. They can go out and friend that striker, have a conversation with that striker, and if they become convinced that 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 is a legitimate striker, of from some you know maybe truck driver, stop delivering food somewhere, who needs help, then they can directly transfer, give, say fifty dollars if that's what's being requested, to that striker directly through. Facebook. So it has a lot of features there that make this kind of thing possible. And, and that's what we're looking to, to build in order to support a general strike. If it's one day, you don't need support. Anybody can take a day off. It's not gonna it's not gonna get anything done. Congress isn't gonna act a whole bunch of workers take a day off. But if they refuse to come back to work and people start getting hungry, they're gonna push Congress for action. And it, you could have Medicare for all passed. I believe I haven't seen this directly, but someone said Trump said he would sign a Medicare for all bill. Now, I think he's probably bullshitting to win an election. But if mm-hmm. we've forced Congress to act by going on a general strike and, and really, truly shutting this country down. And by the way, this doesn't include health care workers or transportation workers or energy workers because – these healthcare workers have to get to work, and we want them to continue their role in this crisis. But food workers are an essential, are an essential uh, sector of of our economy. They, and if they just shut down and say, "I'm not going to work," and there's two ways they could do it: they could just say, "I'll be back when." Uh... And we lost you again. You know, these, these cell phone things, it's, it's almost like there's something that is rotating. It's almost like there's a, a, an interference that is, it seems to be a regular uh, interval that is uh, um, barging in there. I think we have you back. Are you there, Victor? Yeah, I, I can't explain it. I'm right in the window, and I know there's a cell tower right up the road, so I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Well, you know, but, we are anyway, talking about a general strike, so there, right. <laughs> there's that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, people, people can figure out how they're going to go on strike, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm in the health field, so I can donate, I can support the strike, plan on it if there's people who need help and, and strikers locally. Preferably, donors support people they know. Then there's no vetting required. But if, but because of the potential, you know, ideally, again, locally, this is handled by unions, and they they match donors with with needy strikers. But if there's no local activity, then you can do this with Facebook, and it just requires the donors to do the vetting of the strikers themselves, so that, that they're not giving money to con artists pretending to be on strike. But it's all possible, mm-hmm. and it's all doable, and and no one else that we know of is talking about how to. Uh, organize financial support for a general strike. Who's doing that? Everyone says general strike, general strike, but nobody's serious about organizing it. And if we, and I think that's the way to approach and policy. Not, not absolutely, but absolutely, the leverage of of not working. Right. And just we've got thirty seconds, and I want to make sure that people know how to get you. You are at Bernie or Bust on Twitter, and uh, thank you very much, Victor Tiffany. I have to uh, hit the, hit it out of here because we got a hard break. And thank you so much for coming on. I think this was a great conversation on 
uh, on this stuff. Thanks for having me. All right. See you again real soon. All right, guys. Thank you for tuning in. Check us out on Sunday.